Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fontan with a Future podcast. My name is Taylor, and I'm a medical student living with a single ventricle heart. Join me as I explain Fontan physiology, explore new congenital heart disease research, and share about my experience as a patient and doctor in training. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about medical management of CHD after surgical interventions. I will cover topics including doctor's appointments, imaging tests, and routine lab work, as well as common medications that are prescribed. Before we begin, the information in this podcast is not medical advice. It's important to consult your physician before making medical and lifestyle decisions that may affect your health. everyone. Thank you so much for returning for another week of the Fontan with a Future podcast. I again am so appreciative of all the feedback I've received about my past episodes. I wanted to create this episode as almost a continuation of some things I talked about last week. While surgical intervention is a big part of treating CHD, There are lots of other things we do after surgeries to ensure that each patient is as healthy and well as possible. Not every heart warrior may require close follow-up with their cardiologist, especially for those who have heart defects that might not need surgical intervention or for those who have undergone a minor procedure and otherwise are doing very well. They may only need to see their cardiologist once or twice growing up and then need no further follow-up. However, for those of us who might have Fontan circulation or other more complex cardiac conditions that could involve more interventions down the road, it's important to continue to consistently see some type of pediatric cardiologist. For new heart parents who might be working through the first few surgical phases of the Fontan, I hope you find what I'm about to share to be helpful and a way to prepare yourself for additional doctor's visits down the road. For my fellow heart warriors who are older and know all of this already, I would love to compare notes with you and hear about your personal experiences with following up with your cardiologist. For myself personally growing up, I only really needed to see my pediatric cardiologist once a year for routine testing. However, I know of others who went twice a year or maybe even three times a year, depending on how stable their condition was and if their cardiologist was looking for anything specific. My cardiology visits usually consisted of meeting with my cardiologist for a physical exam and check-in, as well as an electrocardiogram and a cardiac echo. As many of you may know, The electrocardiogram, also known as EKG or ECG, is a great, easy test to get a sense of the electrical activity of the heart. Electrodes are stuck onto the chest using stickers, and then usually about a 10-second or 15-second section of cardiac activity is recorded. This is helpful for cardiologists to assess if there are any abnormal heart rhythms or anything they need to be concerned about within the conducting system of the heart. An echocardiogram, or sometimes called cardiac echo, is essentially just an ultrasound of the heart. 
This is another very easy, quick way to image the heart and get a sense of what the ventricles and atria look like, as well as to see how the overall contraction of the heart is performing. You can visualize valves, check blood flow using something called Doppler, and make sure that all the inflow and outflow tracks of the heart are open or patent. There are limitations depending on the anatomy and position of the body. I know for myself personally, a lot of my technicians in the past have said that I have, quote, narrow windows, which essentially means that the way my ribs are spaced together on my rib cage makes it really hard to get good angles with the ultrasound probe to receive full images of my heart. Cardiologists may also ask for more in-depth imaging tests every few years, depending on their concerns and the cardiac anatomy they're working with. For example, I sometimes get what's called a cardiac MRI, usually every three to five years. The cardiac MRI uses magnetic pulses to generate very high-resolution images of the heart. This can be especially useful for people who have complex anatomy and do not always have the clearest or most descriptive cardiac echoes. The good thing is you get great images. The kind of bad thing is you have to lay in an MRI tube for sometimes between two to three hours. A lot of times you wear headphones and there will be a technician speaking to you and asking you to breathe in certain patterns or hold your breath for a certain amount of time. This test can also be very expensive. Thus, it's typically not performed every year. However, the images generated from the cardiac MRI can be very informative and helpful to your cardiologist. The final imaging modality that some cardiologists might use is the chest x-ray. While the chest x-ray does not necessarily show cardiac anatomy very well, cardiologists can look at the overall cardiac silhouette or kind of the space that the heart takes up within the chest, as well as look at the lungs to make sure there's no congestion or any type of fluid buildup. Again, the chest x-ray is not used as typically and is most helpful to use around times of surgery just to make sure there's no lung infections or buildup of fluid. But this is another imaging test your cardiologist might ask you to get every once in a while. Cardiac catheterization is a technique that kind of bridges between imaging as well as intervention. Typically, cardiologists will not ask patients to get routine cardiac catheterizations unless they're concerned about something that they think could be stented or acted upon, or if they're trying to decide whether or not a patient needs more heart surgery. For example, in my case, I received two cardiac catheterizations in my lifetime, and both of them were before my Fontan surgeries. Cardiac catheterization is an amazing way to image the vasculature and the pathways within the heart, as well as to measure specific pressures within the heart chambers. However, it can also come with some risks. Repeated cardiac catheterization can cause scarring within the vessels. And some people over time may have difficulty re-accessing the vessels that were once used for cardiac catheterization. Of course, we have lots of ways to make this safe and effective, 
but it's certainly not a test that your cardiologist should be ordering without really thinking about the implications and need for this type of test. Another major test your cardiologist might ask you to get is sometimes called the stress test or the exercise test. Essentially, this test is used to really get a sense of what your cardiac fitness level is. This test usually consists of riding on a stationary exercise bike or running on a treadmill while wearing an EKG that monitors your heart and wearing a breathing mask that monitors your respirations. Throughout the test, a blood pressure cuff will run to check your blood pressure and a pulse oximeter will be used on your finger to check your blood oxygen saturation levels. I've usually had this test performed probably about every three to five years, sometimes a little bit longer. To be honest, this is probably my least favorite test because they usually make you exercise to exhaustion. I've only ever had this test on the exercise bike But since I've transitioned to adult care, I will soon start having this test on the treadmill. When they run this test on an exercise bike, typically there's two parts. You start out biking at a certain speed and they slowly increase the resistance over time until it's very difficult to pedal. And then after you reach a certain point, they'll drop the resistance and you'll just bike normally for about 5 to 10 minutes. While this test is unpleasant, Doctors can get a lot of information about your maximal oxygen consumption or how effective your body is at pulling oxygen from your lungs and supplying it to your tissues. They can also make sure that you're not undergoing any rhythm changes or even any type of ischemic changes in your heart when you're exercising. This can be really important to assuring your heart health and making sure that you are safe to work out and exert your energy. The final cardiac test I will talk about in this episode is sometimes called the ambulatory EKG or the continuous heart monitoring. This is when your cardiologist sends you home to wear a heart monitor for 24 hours or even several days. The heart monitors have come a long way since I was first a patient. Initially, I had to wear a lot of EKG stickers all over my chest that were all connected to this little clip-on that I would clip to the belt of my pants. Now, we have newer models that are much more discreet and easy to wear. The Zio is a new heart monitor that can be hidden under clothing and doesn't include any wires. Essentially, it's just a sticker with a little box on it that can be stuck up on the left side of your chest and can be worn for several days. It's also waterproof, which is amazing, so you can take a shower and work out and you don't have to worry about anything getting ruined. These monitors are super helpful for your cardiologist to detect if you're having any arrhythmias or rhythm disturbances throughout the day. You can record your activities using a journal or even tap your heart monitor when you feel like you're experiencing palpitations. And all of these things will be recorded and taken into consideration when analyzing the final product. I'm now going to transition to talk about some of the blood tests your cardiologist might ask you to get. While blood tests can be painful and annoying, they do provide us with very important information that can help us make better health decisions. Some of the blood tests you might be required to get include the following. First is a complete blood count also known as a CBC. 
This blood test looks at all the red blood cells and all the white blood cells in your body. It counts up the different types of white blood cells and also looks at the sizes of your cells. It can be helpful to determine whether or not you are anemic by looking at the hemoglobin in your red blood cells. And it can also detect if you're having any type of infection or reaction if you have some type of elevated white blood count. Another blood test you might get is called the Complete Metabolic Panel, or the CMP. This blood test looks at the different electrolytes in your blood, like sodium and potassium, which might be changed depending on the type of medication you're on, and can sometimes cause rhythm disturbances in your heart if they're out of order. It also looks at your liver enzymes, which can be especially important in patients with Fontan circulation, or again, patients who are taking certain types of medications. Finally, this blood test also looks at your creatinine, which is a great way to check on your kidney function. Elevated levels of creatinine may indicate that your kidneys are having a hard time clearing substances from your blood, or it could indicate that a medication is causing a side effect in your body. Finally, another common test that doctors sometimes order is called a BNP. BNP stands for B-type natriuretic peptide. This is a certain type of protein that can be released from your ventricles when they are under stress. In some patients, an elevated BNP may indicate that their heart is having a hard time keeping up with the demands of the body. This is important to help doctors monitor for heart failure or any other types of concerns they might have with the heart. One last test your cardiologist might add on are coagulation studies. These studies look at how long it takes for your blood to clot. This is especially important if you're on some type of blood thinner like warfarin and need to monitor these levels to make sure that everything is within the right range. With that, I'm now going to transition to talk about the final topic in this podcast, which is medications. Not every single person with CHD needs to take medicines. Most of the medicines we take when they're prescribed really are more for prevention or to ensure that the heart is operating at the best level possible. I'm going to share with you a few different common categories of medication, but no, this is not exhaustive. And if you have a medication that was missed on this podcast, let me know. I would love to hear about it. One of the most common medications that can be prescribed to people with CHD are types of anticoagulants. This is especially important if you have some type of foreign valve or conduit in your body, which can be a place that clots may tend to form. The lowest or most mild anticoagulant is actually aspirin. Aspirin is an antiplatelet agent that prevents the platelets in your blood from clumping together and forming clots. For myself personally, I take a baby aspirin, which is just an 81 milligram aspirin tablet every other day just to ensure that my blood is staying thinned and to decrease the likelihood of developing clots. Other patients might be on anticoagulants that are a little bit more intense or carry a little bit more of a bleeding risk with them. These anticoagulants can include things like warfarin or Coumadin, as well as apixaban or other agents in that nature. Some of these agents require more frequent blood work and surveillance to make sure that the anticoagulation level in the blood is staying within a certain range. If the blood gets too thin, there's an increased risk of bleeding, and if the blood gets too thick, 
there can be an increased risk of clots. Another class of medications that can be prescribed, especially in the Fontan patient population, are ACE inhibitors. These medications include agents like enalapril or lisinopril. There's been a lot of questions about why we prescribe these agents, and different cardiologists have different perspectives. This type of medication can help to control blood pressure, can sometimes be protective for the kidneys, and can also be useful in situations where patients might have a reduced ejection fraction or their ventricles aren't able to push out as much blood as usual. I've personally been taking enalapril since my surgeries. Another type of medication patients might be prescribed are diuretics. This can include medicines like Lasik or furosemide, as well as spironolactone or other medications of that nature. These medicines are especially helpful for people who might be retaining fluid or find that their legs swell or their lungs get crackles. These agents work at the level of the kidney to help remove or diurese extra fluid from the body. The final class of medications I will mention are rhythm agents. These can include things like beta blockers, such as metoprolol or propranolol, as well as calcium channel blockers like verapamil or diltiazem, and several others. These medications can be prescribed to help patients who have arrhythmias if their heart is beating too fast or too slow or just can become irregular at times. They also can help maintain healthy blood pressure and can prevent cardiac remodeling or the changing of the shape of the ventricles in the heart. Again, not every patient with CHD will need these types of medications or develop arrhythmias down the road. As I've stated earlier, there are lots of other medications and tests and blood work that I could talk about in this podcast, but I just wanted to offer a brief overview of things that heart parents can expect down the road, as well as things that heart warriors might have experienced during medical care. Before I close this podcast, I want to talk about the importance of continuing care into adulthood. Not every patient needs to see a cardiologist regularly for CHD, especially if their condition has been corrected early on and their cardiologist doesn't have major concerns for them down the road. However, for patients like myself with Fontan circulation and other more complicated conditions, it's very important to continue seeing a cardiologist even after you phase out of pediatric care. Fortunately, as more and more of us with CHD are reaching adulthood, there are more and more adult cardiac care centers across the country and around the world who can treat patients that were initially pediatric cardiology patients but are no longer children. While most adult cardiologists are excellent at handling things like heart attacks and coronary artery disease, a lot of them are not equipped necessarily to handle patients with congenital heart disease. That's why it's important to find cardiologists who are certified and specially trained to work with adults with CHD. Fortunately, the Adult Congenital Heart Association, or the ACHA, has an excellent website and locator that can help you find a cardiologist who will be able to serve your specific needs with CHD. While we are at risk for developing things like coronary artery disease and heart attacks down the road, there are many other complications specific to CHD 
that require careful surveillance by a skilled physician. Don't wait to establish care with someone. I encourage everyone who is of age and phasing out of pediatric cardiologists to find an adult cardiologist that will be able to follow with them through adulthood. Things happen, and it's important to have a physician who is familiar with your history and can act quickly if need be. I made the transition when I was around 22 years old, and I'm so grateful for my adult cardiologist who was able to keep up with me, monitor my symptoms, and ensure that my heart is working as well as it possibly can. Thank you all so much for tuning in and making it to the end of another episode of my podcast. I would love to hear from you about your particular experiences with cardiac testing, medications, and blood work. Let me know if there's anything new or different that I didn't cover in my podcast. I would love to hear and learn from you. As challenging as it can be living with CHD, it's so wonderful to feel like you have an excellent cardiologist and medical team behind you who will be able to support you and ensure that you are staying healthy as well as offer options and support when concerns arise. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fontaine with a Future podcast. My name is Taylor, and I hope you will join me next week to hear more about CHD. If you want to reach out or learn more, follow me at Fontaine with the Future on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again. Hope to have you listening next week.